What is up, people? Jean Carlos here with the Total Body Training Podcast, where I help people get lean, gain muscle, and build confidence. And this is my friend Corey Torkelson. Go ahead and say, hey, Corey. Hey, guys, what's up? Corey is a pretty incredible dude. He's a personal trainer, he's an athlete, and he is an ultra marathon runner and he's an American Ninja Warrior. He's pretty much done a little bit of everything, and today we're gonna talk about his training history, his life, and what's led up to him competing now in the American Ninja Warrior season series that is going on uh, currently right now, or that's about to come out. So, before we go on, this episode is brought to you by carbs. Corey, what's your favorite carb? Pizza. Pizza, what do you have on your pizza? Pepperoni. Pepperoni? Onions. Bell peppers. Yeah. Where do you get it from? Uh, Capos. I haven't had Capos. Pretty good? Yeah. Usually when I go Capos, I just get pepperoni. Okay. That's it. All right. You heard it first. I'm going to put a link to Capos in the description section on here. A little shout out to them. All right. All right, Corey. So I'm glad to have you here. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And today, uh, you know, we're just going to talk a little bit about you and your training history and your life. And, you know, I just want to kind of go back to the start. So where did you begin your training history? When did you first start training? When I was about three four years old my uh, um, mom and dad put me in gymnastics Mm -hmm. um, and my brother also also was put in gymnastics he's about five years older than me Um, and uh, after a year or two we ended up uh, my parents bought the gym and uh, we kind of just grew up in a gymnastics facility our whole life so yeah that's pretty badass so what were some of your favorite things to do in gymnastics at that time well, I think my my favorite was well my my best event was 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 vault, but um, my favorite was probably high bar. High bar? Yeah, I like swinging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very uh, intense uh, sport. And so, did you compete in that when you were younger, or is that something more so that you did? Yeah, we did. Um, so every weekend, uh, you know, is pretty much, uh, you know, s- three, four hours a day, um, you know, s- six days a week. And then um, on, on, I don't know, one, one weekend every two weeks or so, we'd be up in Houston or in Dallas and uh, doing a gymnastics competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, especially at that age, I you know, it's not something that I can necessarily relate to because, you know, I was just a chunky kid. I didn't I didn't compete in sports or do anything like that, you know. So, do you think that like at that time, were you driven by competition or was it more so just like you were just excited to be there because your parents were taking you? What was that kind of like when you were younger? I, I guess it never really felt like I was competing against anybody else. I always okay. felt like I was competing just against myself, just to get through a routine, to get, you know, to finish a set without falling off the bar or, uh, you know, you know, bending your knees or take your legs coming apart or you know, not pointing your toes. So it was just, it was always kind of a, you're focused on what you're doing because if you're focused on what anybody else is doing, you're uh, probably not going to do very well. Yeah, and I would say that's mostly the case for like those sports or even like Olympic weightlifting or like other sports like that. It's like you're alone, you know, while you're performing, right? Because you're, you're typically like all eyes are on you when you're performing in those events, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so it's almost like um, you're just kind of going at it on your own. And, you know, there's definitely people, people counting on you and things like that, but you're kind of on your own. You're not directly facing your competitor. So I can see that why that would be the case. Now, like, you know, from what I remember, a little bit later on in your life, you moved into doing wrestling, correct? Yeah. At what age did you get into wrestling? I'd, I was about 14 years old. 14 yeah, I was a freshman in, in high school. Yeah. And, and what made you want to go into wrestling? My dad was a wrestler in uh, high school, and uh, he was in, he's from Minnesota, so uh, it's wrestling country up there. And so he kind of pushed me that direction and... Uh, my freshman year was the first year that it was UIL in in Texas. So they had been wrestling for years before that, but it was the first official year of, uh, of UIL wrestling. So, um, so were you influenced a lot 
by your your dad in terms of like what you were doing with your training and things like that i mean with him owning a gym um did he kind of guide that process my mom was more of the kind of the the director of my uh, sports and whatnot. My yeah. dad was a good, a big influence for the reason why I chose wrestling. But uh, he was, he was. I mean, he's always been. Uh, he's a, he's a great provider. So he's always been at work, uh, you know, busting butt. But he would come watch my rest, all my wrestling meets, and um, yeah, he was. He owned the gym, but at that time it was, it was around Desert Storm and. Uh, he's a pilot in the Air Force, so. Oh, I didn't, yeah, okay, I didn't know so that. So he was that. real, you know, he's always back and forth overseas, and, um, but, uh, and right now he's, he's seven years old, and he just got a job flying, uh, uh, he's a fire bomber now, so, um, putting out fires out on the West Coast, and, uh, He's so, currently doing this? Yeah, so wow. he's out, now he's out three weeks, back a week, out three weeks, back a week, so. Um, but. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of life. I think it's uh, it's really it must be really intense, and then it must be exciting when you get to see dad and you get to like kind of cherish those moments. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, that being said, who were some of the first people that instilled an interest in fitness? Like, are there any coaches that stand out to you from your upbringing that really taught you some valuable lessons? Absolutely. My uh, my coach Ed Cosner, uh, uh, strength coach in high school. My first personal trainer yeah taught me how to olympic lift taught, taught me how to snatch clean you know do you know taught me the important uh, importance of glute ham raises and uh, as much as i hated them it was you know we did them all kind of different ways mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh so now he was a uh, and i just saw him yesterday at the highland games he's the director at, of the highland games here in san antonio so i went out and saw him um just yesterday but <laughs> Yeah, okay, the Highland Games are the Celtic, right? The Celtic Games. Mm -hmm. And so what did you, so what What did they do? They, I knew they so do they're like throwing a lot of stone the, throwing throwing the caber, yeah. the, the, the stones. I'm not, I don't know much about the sport, to be honest, yeah. except for when you look at it, it looks like they're doing, you know, uh, really explosive, you know, like power clean, you know, um, Olymp it looks a lot like a, an Olympic lift. Yeah. Like a snatch when they're throwing the weight over the bar. Um, so I can see the application from what he taught me to that sport, but I, I don't know much about it. I was a, a thrower in, in college, but I just threw the javelin. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like when I, when I see the sports that Highland games, people do, it reminds me of like a cross between like Olympic weightlifting, strongman training, you know, like somewhere like this weird kind of hybrid yeah, of yeah. all those things. It's, it's really neat. And so typically like the people just, you know, just go off topic for a second, but they wear kilts, you know, it's a really traditional kind of event. So people are super into it. So you actually ran into that guy uh, when you were there, that coach of yours. Yeah. And well, I knew he was going to be in yeah, town as he's cool. the director. So I went over and said, and, of course, there was like three or four guys that I, you know, trained with growing up um, that were there too. So, got to see my whole, kind of, well, a, a small portion of the old Olympic crew from back in my heyday. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, you get into Olympic. I mean, you get into wrestling, and did that change things for you at that moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I excelled. I did really well. Um, it was a it was me. I was in the spot spotlight again, I guess. So I can see how you were kind of trying to draw, maybe draw these two things together, mm -hmm. the being a gymnast and having, you know, performing in front of everybody. It's really similar um, as a wrestler because you're kind of sure you're wrestling as a team, but you have uh, you're just out there on the mat with like, going against the other guy. So um, it feels really good to to beat somebody one on one and. Um, and so that was a, uh, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, but, and then I learned when I got to college that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't much. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like when you got to college, cause we're not necessarily known for our wrestling here. And so the schools and the people that you're competing in the division that we're competing in here in San Antonio and Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, like this whole area, uh, are a different caliber because, you know, we just don't have the training history as like other you know, states might have. I'm sure it's a lot different now. Yeah. I mean, a lot different now, but still, you know, they're, they're still, they, they've got 20, 30 years on us, but uh, since I graduated, 
uh, college, I've seen a lot of uh, you know, MMA studios yeah. and just mixed martial arts, a lot of wrestling, and, um, and I'm sure the sport has, has developed here in Texas. Um, but from Texas to Oklahoma, you know, they're great wrestlers in Oklahoma, but I could handle myself. But going to Iowa, um, it was like a whole, it was a whole other ball game. It wasn't, you're wrestling a different style, you know, and it's, um, and it's not a fun style to wrestle. Yeah. So, so you, you started to like lose taste for it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I got beat up so bad, but I, I hung out, I hung in there for the year and made sure, you know, finish what I started and, um, uh, and then I kind of moved on from that. I, if I, I'm really, really, um, you know, su super, super happy to f be able to jump on the track team and do that and, and really perform well there. But, um, yeah, so you transitioned into track and I think you transitioned into pole vaulting. Yep. Yeah. And so did you excel better in those sports when you, when you moved back over into that? Yeah. Well, I had pole, I had pole vaulted here in, in Texas as a high school, uh, middle school and a high school athlete. And, um, so going up to Iowa and, and, and pole vaulting there, I, I actually did pretty well since, uh, that's a area of the athletic spectrum that they don't, um, they don't have a lot of pole. They don't have any pole vaulting. Yeah. So, so it's almost like you had that benefit of like there being like fewer fish in the pond, mm -hmm. so that you could excel. At I went that. from a, an awesome track. I mean, Texas got to be one of the best track track and field sport, uh, you know, states in the country. So outside of you know California, you know, but uh, yeah. So coming from one of the best track states to one that maybe isn't isn't super super awesome up in iowa they're not probably it's probably not the best track yeah. and field um and being able to excel there uh it was kind of nice to be able to do that because i got my butt kicked wrestling so it's nice to be able to see uh, and understand why i performed so well in iowa um, as a track athlete and why i got my butt kicked as a wrestler and uh it really i mean it it's a weird so it's a hard thing to explain. I, you know, not not pole vaulting in college. I wasn't even pole vaulting as high as some of the kids were pole vaulting in high school. Yeah, you know, they were out jumping me in high school, so I'm able to do well. But I still know that I'm not jumping as high as some of the you know Texas high school kids are. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So, so that must come with like a level of like maybe like I, I think to to recognize that I should say takes a level of introspection that like some athletes aren't willing to do or some people in life. I mean, to like look at yourself and be like, you know, I'm pretty good, but I could be better. Yeah, yeah. and like 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 recognizing that um, is a very humbling thing. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, that's exactly where. I'm yeah, to go. especially if you're like getting beaten up. I mean, wrestling, especially like with wrestling, I mean, there's just there just seems to be something that's so uh, brutal about having a contact sport, having a man on top of you, sweating on top of you, holding you down, you know, making you tap out, like all these things. I mean, it's it's very it's a very psychological game um, that you're having to play, and it's very exhausting. Um, even just watching people, I get tired when I watch something like MMA or any kind of mixed martial arts. So you know, I have a, a great admiration for people who, at the very least, like dedicate some time to that. So it's really awesome that you kind of got to learn these skills and like kind of have that introspection that thought about yourself and how you fit in the greater scheme of fitness and um you know physical activity uh you know exercise and whatnot so from there you kind of moved on you know after college what was in college you were majoring in what uh, exercise physiology okay and you know, where did you go after college? What did you do at that point? Well, I, I took my I took my exam uh, for my CSCS, uh, and I got I got certified. Um, with CSCS, can you tell what our viewers at home what that is? It's with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, it's typically, and I thought I was going to be working with a lot of athletes, so mm -hmm. it's it's typically a, a, you know what a, a strength coach in a uh, maybe a college. Uh, arena would have uh, but it's really it's I feel like it's one of the gold standard um, certifications and it was um, they were a really tough test and so I'm glad I took it right after college when I had all that knowledge still there I wouldn't want to take it today 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those tests are really detailed, yeah. and there's so much you have to go over. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of like anatomy, right? Yeah, and we're, but we do a lot of continuing education, and so uh, I just have to stay on top of that because if I had to take the test again, I think it would be it'd be tough. I would have to put a lot of, you know, I'm not. I haven't been in college in ten years, so. Um, but really all that, all that stuff, learning all that stuff, I think, um, and getting that, getting the certification is more important than the certification itself. I think, you know, a lot of the sciencey stuff, you know, it's important, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's more important than the science. And I think, um, yeah, I, we'd agree. I on think that. it's like, Oh, cool. You got a great cert, but, uh, I know guys who don't have any certification that are amazing coaches and teachers. So. Yes, yes, uh, we would. I would definitely agree with that. I think that sometimes uh, people anticipate or think that because someone has a piece of paper, that they are automatically going to have the knowledge that it takes to train people in a good way. And so much of training, and maybe you'd agree with me, or you could speak to that. So much of like training and like teaching people how to improve is more than just, you know, what you were taught in that book. Like you're not, you're, you, you might be taught like, you know, certain things about like where your, your muscles are and things like that. But like how that translates to actually being a good coach is besides me, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, would you say, well, how do you become a good trainer? Because I know that you are one, you know, I, I'd, I, I'd say that you would have to learn that people don't really care about all that sciencey stuff. They want you to help them you know, achieve a certain, you know, so finding out what people want and then helping them get there, you know, yes. and, uh, and not trying to overcomplicate it with, with, you know, fancy words and, you know, textbook stuff. But, um, yeah, when I came out of school, I think I had a, a big head, like I've got, you know, that, that degree and, you know, why aren't these people listening to me? Well, I didn't, they don't really care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So you have to, just you know really just try to love serve and care and and just try to be you know really really you know in their corner you know because it's it's not one hour you know three days a week or five days a week it's you know you got to help motivate them for 24 hours every single day so i don't even know you've probably done the math uh, oh i know yeah it's a lot of hours to yep and a few hours a week working out is there's really it's nothing so yeah it's all about the the person and what they they need and how to deliver the information to them in the best way possible and give them what they actually want and you know that's we i 100 percent am on your side there's to, to me uh one of the biggest flaws that you know people can have as educators or uh and you know maybe i'm about to sound a little bit negative i, I don't want to speak hate to, to anyone or any training methodology or point anybody out. But I think that, that, um, sometimes people shove things down people's throats when they're training people and they just anticipate things or expect things. And they come from a really high minded place, especially after, you know, college or something where you've been educated and you know, all the right words and the fancy things that your college professors know. But when you tell that to your average, you know, person, they're like, what? I just want to, yeah, eyes just, just glaze over. Yeah. Yeah. They could care less. And you can't yeah. explain it to them any better than the book explained it to you. Like you yeah. could, you could talk about it like an out of a book, but you can't just talk to them about it, how you should talk to them about it. So they could care, you know, listen to you. So it took a long, a long time, you know, to, to develop yeah. that. And I'm still working on it. Of course. So, so after college, what did you do next? What was your next step? Right after college, I started working at HealthLink for the Baptist Health System. Mm -hmm. um, over on Bitters and 281, they have a, a physical therapy clinic, and there's a fitness side. And I was working on the fitness side, doing you know post physical therapy uh, with you know somebody who maybe came out of a, a rotator cuff surgery, just did their therapy at, with the physical therapist, and then they send us send them over to our side. But that and and then working with silver sneakers and uh, a lot of a lot of seniors, really. So you developed, and and I know this because you know I've seen lots of pictures on your Instagram and your Facebook. You developed uh, friendships with some of the people who were a little bit older, right? Could you mention you have one friend in particular who was really special to you? Can you mention him real quick? Yeah, um, Jim Brown. He yeah. and his name was it was his name was James Brown, 
Um, so I called him the original father of soul. Um, he was, uh, 103 when he passed. So he was, he was born in 1914. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and you and, uh, the father of soul developed a really strong relationship, right? Oh yeah. Uh, do you want to mention just briefly a little bit about that? Yeah. When we, when we first started working together, he had gotten a referral from his, uh, his girlfriend's cardiologist and, uh, and she had, uh, Basically, the the girlfriend calls me and says she has a uh, her her boyfriend Jim has got uh, a hamstring injury and he needs to he needs to do some kind of physical exercise to to get get his hamstring back in shape. So I uh, started working with him three days a week, um, and then uh, we moved to uh, five days a week, and then ultimately it was six days a week and. Just an hour a day, but I would eat lunch with them, maybe an hour and a half, just because it was. It felt like, you know, I wanted to keep just stay there all day. But, um, yeah, it was a. Uh, I would, yeah, I would have gone there even if he didn't pay me. I, I, at a point when we were together, it would have been, um, if he wasn't able to to pay me or something, I would have just kept coming. And, I learned a lot more from him than he learned from me. But what's the most valuable lesson you learned from Jim? I think uh, giving people credit um, for doing a good job. Yeah. Um, whoever it is, just giving 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 people the credit that they deserve, and 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 maybe even trying to uh, you know find uh, whoever's in charge of of. Uh, of of their moving up and and give the credit directly to that that person so you can help move somebody up the um, up the ladder and whatever their uh, their goals are. Um, but yeah, he just made it pretty clear that the reason why he had so much success was because he he um, pointed out the success of other people yes. to the right people. Yes. What was his career again? He was the vice president of Scott Paper. Yeah, and and so so uh, you know what we're kind of talking about here is you know gratitude, showing showing uh, that when you have an employee or someone like that, they need to feel like you've been grateful for them, and they need to hear that, and it improves the. There's so much information that suggests that when you show gratitude and you give that to your whether it's your employees or your athletes or your clients, whatever that you show that you care, when you show that you're thankful, you know, it just helps the relationship between you two, between all of you and everybody who works within that organization. So it's really just like an incredibly valuable skill to have. Where did you go? Um, you know, so, so at this time, how were you training? What were you doing in terms of like working out and exercising? Because I know like now you weren't in high school anymore. You weren't in college, so you weren't uh, so pole vaulting. Yeah, so I didn't. Have, Where do you go pole vault? I didn't have know? any any yeah. any sports, so no competition yeah. to help drive any kind of, um, you know, my physical, um, the kind of the, my addiction really to to training. So uh, it became more about just the mirror and, and you know I just wanted to you know build more muscle and yeah. I think I think a lot of people get that way and I don't think it's a bad thing I no. think it's a really great way to 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 drive your 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 success and and uh, and but for me I think I uh, you know it was it was an unhealthy thing for me because I was I think I never really noticed myself in the mirror before and and couldn't appreciate really being uh in amazing shape my whole life and so now i want to be this kind of this freak you know super strong meathead and uh, i just kind of got lost in that yeah and it's very easy to do that i mean to get caught up in um the culture of like beauty that surrounds bodybuilding you know there's we're not, again we're not saying there's anything like shameful about doing that i think bodybuilding's yeah. badass i love and, it like, i love it yeah but it, for me it became it was it was an unhealthy thing i don't think it is is unhealthy for everybody no no um but it's it's your it's what how you want to live your life and and that's uh and and that's it wasn't ultimately going to take me to where I wanted to be, um, yeah. And, uh, but it was a it was a, a really important phase for me to go through, and I think an important phase for everybody to go through, and know that it's it, and understand that there's probably going to be a time that 
things will change and having a plan you know when that time comes is a you know a better way to go than just kind of waiting for it to happen what do you mean by having like things are going to change well, you, you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get older. You're yeah. gonna get maybe you might get married. You might have a fam. You might get a family. And dedicating all this this time to the gym uh, could destroy a, a marriage. It could yeah. destroy your family when the goal is to get bigger. Ooh, you know. And I'm already really big. I'm 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 in I'm I'm over I'm oversized right now. Yeah. I'm not getting and I'm not getting on stage because I feel like I've got to have 20 more pounds. Yeah. So I always needed tw- I always needed to have 20 more pounds and I'll get on stage when that happens. And so, uh, so did you ever compete? No, no. I yeah, mean, I, I was getting, I was getting very close, but no, I was way too self-conscious. And I, I looked at the guys and I thought, well, I need at least 20 more pounds. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why 20 was the number, but it was always, I need 20 more. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, there's a lot of, like, mental stuff that can happen to you where you become self-defeating. And I think, like, I, I mean, you know, it sucks because, you know, it, at that point it almost can become, like, a body image issue, like, for yourself. And then you spend all this time doubting yourself and maybe, like, looking at, like, other men in magazines and wishing that you look that way. Did you, just not being able to appreciate yeah. what you have. I mean, that you're in great shape. Um, yeah, and everybody else has been telling you this for a long time, and you're just like, you know, you can't hear it. Earmuffs are on or something. Um, but my entire life, and so I think that probably drove me to want to enhance my image even more. But it wasn't changing anything yeah. for me socially. I wasn't, you know. Uh, I think I interact a lot better socially now. Um, that I'm, I'm not, you know, super worried about how I look and how much muscle I have. Mm. How, you know, I've, I've got a pump right now. Um, I don't really. So, um, no. And, and yeah, I can see how that would be uh, detrimental. I mean, in terms of like, you know, will you be able to always have that pump if you have other priorities in your life, like having a family or things like that, you know, some people, for some people, yes. I mean, for some people like that outweighs, but you know, having, other priorities in their life but for you you know being a family man and like you know things like that or like even just having a different outlook on fitness which we'll get to in a few minutes uh you know there are other things that you value more and uh that's something that i think that we really share in common and we'll get to that in a few seconds so during this time that you're bodybuilding you were in an accident and that accident ultimately changed the course of your training career and the course of your entire life uh, can you start off by sharing what happened on the car accident yeah um so it was on december 27th of 2008 and uh my my brother was in town he was um, in town from the air force academy he was the gymnastics coach there um and uh he was in town uh, we had just we were leaving my parents' house, uh, going over to my house. I think maybe we're going to play video games or something. I can't can't remember. Um, and I lost control of my of my my vehicle, hit a tree, and uh, my brother was killed. Um, he he died on the on the scene, and I was airlifted to uh, University Hospital, um, and I was had a, they induced a coma. I was in a coma for three days and uh, I broke my neck, I broke uh, 12 ribs, collapsed my left lung. Um, but the yeah, the worst part of the whole thing was my head injury. So I had like, I think it was 10 dime sized bleeds on my frontal lobe, um, a lot of swelling. Um, and so uh, really, uh, the brain injury was a lot worse than any of the, the breaks. Um, but, you know, all of that being said, I had to you know learn how to walk again. I wasn't paralyzed, but I wasn't walking straight. And I, uh, you know, I, I had to learn, you know, how to, how to drive again. That was something I didn't get a lot, my license back for a long time. Um, cause I don't want somebody, you imagine hitting your head or something really, really hard. And then, you know, trying to, you know, walk away from it. I've had a lot of concussions, and 
And so it's like you've you've got your head hit, but it's just you can't quite get your 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 balance back, yeah. you know. And I'm doing a lot of speech therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy, um, you know. To and, and in my mind, you know, I'm uh, I can I can do anything, you know. But my mind isn't. Uh, they're not giving me. I can't. Uh, I'm not able to make mis- decisions for myself anymore. Um, you know that's how bad the head injury was. So they kind of you, know, you lose those. You lose some of your your rights. You know when uh, when you have an injury like that. And by that you mean that other people in your life had to make decisions for you. You mean I couldn't drive a car. Yeah. You know it was like you can't you can't drive. You got to come and pass a, a driver's test. You can't. The doctor isn't even going to let you go take that test. You know so you're not going to have the capability. And just having to wait all that time, and it was, gosh, I can't remember how 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 long it was till I got my my license back. I can't remember how long it was until I was out of the, you know, the uh, the the uh, uh, therapy unit, walking around, and 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 it was outpatient. So I'd go there, you know, after I got out, I would I would go to my outpatient therapy, and I would walk around in there. For three or four hours, going from one class to another, speech therapy to a head injury group of you know guys who've all been in pretty bad uh, accidents or a lot of oil oil rigger accidents, people getting hit with pipes. Um, but you know, I, you know, as somebody, I had a head trauma as well, but not to the level you had. Like, you know, I mean, my, mine was pretty mild in comparison to yours. So like, you know, the way that I can relate to it, you know, in the very least is that you don't know as a, as a person, how valuable your body and your health is until you have something really bad happen to you where you can't use your body the same way. And, um, you know, I imagine that that had to have been really tough for you emotionally, um, you know, as well as like, you know, on your family. And then also, you know, the fact that your brother did pass away. I mean, was a lot of that kind of like weighing on you at the same time as you were trying to, you know, figure out your own health or, you know, My, was that even really on the top of your mind considering how bad of shape you were in? Yeah, I was, you know, my head injury was so bad that, um, you know, immediately hearing that I lost my brother in the accident, and, and this was a long time, they kept it from me for a while, I couldn't remember what I'd been told, you know, five minutes yes, later. Yes, yes, I understand. Um, yeah. So the brain injury really protected me from having to, you know, hear that. You know, that would have killed me if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have the head injury, that would have ruined my life. Um, so the head injury saved my life, but it also allowed me to know that, yeah, this great, you know, physical body that I was always more into sports and everything else than I was into school. Yeah, I went, I went to school to play sports. I'm glad that I had the sports to get me through college because otherwise I don't know if I would have, you know, stuck it out that long. Um, but, uh, I was always into performance my my body not necessarily my mind you know i had to i had to pull things together to get the answers yes. to get out of school but so then being you know getting my my control unit damaging that then it was like it was a complete reversal of now i'm training to enhance my mind instead of my my body and so i started uh, i started running after uh yeah yeah okay and then you you slowly got introduced into to running which took your life in a different career path and like so now i mean you i know that i've been following you for a while and we're friends uh you've been able to do uh marathons and ultra marathons recently you qualified for boston right what was your time you did this at the rock and roll marathon i ran a yeah yeah san antonio rock and roll i ran a 301 28 god (laughs) and i at one point i thought oh man i'm gonna get under three you know and uh and and i remember somebody says he says you're number nine i thought oh man i'm in ninth place yeah so he says you're in ninth place and i was like and so i was able to, to i think i was able to hang into that ninth place spot the whole time and uh i wasn't able to get the guy in front of me but um i didn't get caught and uh but I remember coming through the finish line puking, though. Was, oh, shit. Well, 
Yeah, I did. I did puke because it's funny because I usually dry heave yeah. when I come down. It's just a mental thing. I, I think I just start to, you know, feel like I'm going to throw up. And, and so it's a lot of, you know, making noise and I look really foolish, but I can't, no, I, 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 can't, I can't help it sometimes. This time I actually threw up and the photographer got the shot of me throwing up. I wanted that so bad, but I think they edited it out. Oh, it sucks. I, yeah. I think they edited the vomit out because yeah. they didn't want people seeing it, you know, when they're yeah. looking through pictures. But, uh, yeah, I wanted that. There's so a bad. lot of ugly shit that, that happens when you're running that people don't, they don't, they don't like to address, but that's definitely one of them. You know, it just kind of comes with it. Folks, you might throw up when you run a, th- a three, a three hour, uh, marathon. So like, uh, when are you going to perform in, are you going to run Boston? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to run in 2019, so April. Yeah. So it's, it's a ways off. I'm going to probably try to do some more um, ultras. Actually, this year I want to I PR in my 5K, my 10K. I was going to do PR in my 15, all every, you know, every race. But I, I want to do my 5K and 10K PR, my half marathon and my marathon PR. But... I want to try to get at least 100 mile or maybe 200 milers in. So, you know, can I take a step back here? So you go into the run, you know, how much of this was, you know, cause this is a completely different kind of like trajectory that you went in. Cause at this point you were like bodybuilding. What, oh yeah. I talked so much mess actually, about runners. I said, Oh, you want to look like one of those skinny guys? You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's so oh, much shit. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the same problem because when I started running, um, and now I've gained weight since, but when I was a runner, not like you, but just like a marathon runner, an average Joe marathon runner, I got down to like 165 and you know, I looked very skinny and I got mm. so much shit from bodybuilders. Like even like, like trainers that I worked with, cause I was a trainer at the time. They'd be like, Oh, you're going to lose your gains, man. <laughs> so like, you know, you were one of those people who kind of like made fun of it. Like at the time. So like what, what then made you want to do that? You know, well, I figured, I figured I couldn't just run a marathon, you know, by just, just a marathon. So I, I had read born to run and I had that, you know, I was one of those crazy barefooters, uh, and back from the old day, I was one of the guys that started the trend, I think, you know, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. after the book, I think I probably was on the early bandwagon maybe. Um, but there were people, you know, probably 10, 20 years before me that would say, you know, you're just like, you came way, way in, late into the game because we've always known that barefoot running is a good way to improve yes. your, your running mechanics. And it was a trend, but it's always been something we've used to to train not necessarily run races but we've always used barefoot running you know um to improve our our mechanics and i think there's just a lot of coaches that haven't used that but there's plenty of coaches that have been using it for you know since the beginning of time yeah yeah and so so like you needed it sounds like you needed something new some kind of new challenge yeah i needed to make i needed to do something bigger than a marathon so i read you know i ran the marathon barefoot and um and after i ran the marathon barefoot i thought well maybe i'll i want to do something bigger so i ran a 50k and i did that in uh five fingers so and i wasn't really too pumped about i felt kind of ashamed of of having to wear shoes, you know, even if it's just the five finger shoes, I still felt it was kind of like, now I wish I could have gone back and maybe did it in, in sandals, but, um, that I always thought those guys looked stupid, but then now looking back, I think, oh man, I look really dumb in those five finger shoes. It looks so dumb. Yeah. They were such a trend. Yeah. I mean, I was so, I look so dumb, but I didn't care. I, I was, you know, I was running, 50 K then I run a hundred kilometers and I did that in five fingers. And then I was like, well, shoot, if I ran this crazy race in Bandera, that's, you know, crazy rocks. I mean, just the terrain is some of the, I'd, I'd say it was probably, it's probably one of the hardest races that I've ever run. The Still Bandera, to this day yeah. is Bandera 100 K. Did you run that barefoot? I ran it in five fingers. five fingers. I believe I might be the only person who's ever done it in five fingers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, nobody's ever done it in sandals. And I, I from what I understand, you had multiple attempts to hit an ultra marathon, and then eventually you got one. Well, so right. 50k is an ultra marathon. Okay. So I got that, and then 100k is a big ultra marathon. You get a, a belt a lot of the times, a belt buckle. So I got my belt buckle. 
So that may, I was real proud about that. But then the next thing was a hundred miles. And I think that's where you really feel like you've done it maybe as an ultra marathon runner. And then you start thinking about 200 mile races. But, but I think when you really feel like you're in the, that group is once you've finished a hundred miles and, and, and so like, you know, at this time, you know, what has all of this, cause you're a person who's had to do, had to face adversity. You've grown a lot, you know, from the experiences that you had with your brother. Um, you've grown a lot from the injury that you had. It's almost like it opened up this new side of you that you didn't know you had. What is the biggest thing you learned about yourself doing these ultra marathons? I, I, I learned that I wasn't a humble uh, athlete coming up as a, as a youngster through college, after school. I still hadn't, um, I wasn't humbled. And I just, I thought, you know, I, I thought I was a lot, you know, some, I thought I was big shit. And I, I don't think I, I don't think I really realized it until after I, I, I had this car accident and I realized that, wow, you, you aren't shit, you know, anything can take you out real quick. Yeah. Um, and, and then having to work on my, on my mind and on, you know, on my memory and, uh, just being able to understand what I'm reading and, and, and keep that, you know, for enough time to, uh, to really just to be able to trick people, you know, so they, so they, you know, you can have a conversation and you're not like a, you know, you don't sound like, uh, you're a brain injured person. Yeah. And, uh, and so I still think I get, I get into that sometimes, but, um, but for the most, most part, I think I can, I can hold a pretty good thought. And I think a lot of that being able to, uh, uh, being able to hold a thought and, and, and be able to communicate something, um, is because of my running is because of, uh, you know, the, the changes that it, it that it makes in your in your in your brain as far as just the chemicals that that yeah. you get uh, pumping like your serotonin dopamine and norepinephrine all the stuff that you get up you know uh, in the right doses when you take medication well sometimes they get it in the right doses or sometimes they get it in the wrong doses but when you exercise uh, it's it's like the perfect medicine yeah yeah I mean there's so much uh, there's no guessing there's no like oh let's try this or let's try this it's like it just it you get all the all the stuff that you need and and the more I would exercise the more I would run, um, you know, 15 mile run in the morning, 20 mile run in the morning, I would have the most amazing day, uh, just starting with something really big, and I wouldn't run it very fast, you know, I'd set aside two to four hours just to to go on a little jaunt. I'd be barefoot, so I'm not running fast. My feet are, you know, that'd kill me. Yeah. You know, but to run super fast for that far, yeah, that'd be hard. But I was running, I was barefoot, so I couldn't go very fast. I think the barefoot running slowed me down. So if I was doing something wrong, I'm not going to get hurt. Um, you know, you might uh, step on a rock or something, but um, you're not going to destroy your knees or your, or your back because you're you know, running faster than you should be running, you know, heel striking, just terrible. Yeah. And so, so like what you're telling me is that you learn like this level of humility and that, you know, it's almost like that opened up the, the accident and learning this level of humility opened you up to new challenges in your life, like the barefoot running and the running and constantly challenging yourself, trying to push yourself so that you can grow as a person and also get free medication um, from working out and running the dopamine, the serotonin, all those things that people tend to undervalue that you do get when you work out. Yeah. Uh, everything you know, is everything is a there. mental challenge yeah. before it's a physical challenge. Yes. You have to decide you you're going to run a hundred miles before you start the line. Yes, you know, you have you to do. decide first, you're going to, you can do it. You have to sign up. So it's all a mental challenge first. And it's, if it's going to the gym, you still have to open the door and walk out of the door and get in your car. Once you get in the car, I promise you, you're not going to turn around and go get back in your, in your bed. Yeah. So I think it's just the first, you know, taking those first steps, whether it's a hundred miles or it's like, I'm going to go to the gym today. Um, it's always a mental, a mental obstacle before 100%. it's a physical obstacle. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like it's it's all about like taking those little steps and then just like committing and and just being okay for the ride. And so, you know, from here, you know, you started to develop an interest in American Ninja Warrior and obstacle course uh, stuff. So, uh, you know, I, from what I understand, you tried out for American Ninja Warrior about a year or two ago. I did uh, here in the San Antonio one. It was right? in San Antonio, yeah. um, season nine, and I went and got in the walk online. Um, I was. 28th in the line and Mm -hmm. so now after uh, you know having kind of learned a little bit I think I probably have to be you know at least 10 you know 10th spot in the line to really know you're going to run 28 was pretty far back but at the time I thought I'm going to you know I'm going to have this chance to run Um, but it started raining. They didn't get too many, too many walk-ons. Uh, oh, so you didn't even get to do it? No. That. Oh, that no. sucks. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, what, what happened from there? Well, I learned everything I needed to. I needed to get on the show. The first obstacle to getting on to the first obstacle with American Ninja Warrior isn't the quad steps or the quintuple steps that you, it's getting on the show. So it's, it's making a submission video that the producers like enough to, uh, um, you know, to, to uh, cast you for the show so you have to have a it helps to have a story it helps to be athletic it helps you have to be able to complete the the course so the stuff that that you're showing them uh, has to demonstrate that you're capable of of finishing the course because they don't want you know just anybody out there they want to have competitors so I think anybody who uh, gets on the show I'd say almost any of them if not all of them could finish the course it's just can you do it on your first try, can you get your those six obstacles on that first um, that first night? Can you get those on your first try? Um, all of them could do it if they if you get one or two tries at it. You could learn each obstacle and you could run the course. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was everything I expected it to be. Um, super you know super happy to have been able to. I mean, I had so much fun. Um, yeah, and, and, and right now you're talking about like your Dallas, the the experience you had in Dallas mm-hmm. recently. And where can we can we watch that? You that's coming up. That's going to be on TV soon. What station? Mm-hmm. So we found out in Dallas, uh, or when we were there competing, they told us that LA wasn't going to be the premiere. They they surprised us that uh, Dallas would be the premiere episode yeah. of of season ten. Um, and we're going to sh- have a viewing party at my church, uh, MacArthur Park Lutheran on Nacogdoches. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. So that's going to be, do you know what date that is? Uh, you know it be May like? 30th. I'm not sure what time it's going to air. I think 7 or 8 o'clock. Okay. So I'll have people meeting up there 30 minutes before the airtime, but I'm just not 100% sure that's quite a ways off. Yeah, so if any of you know Corey or are interested in you know being at this premiere, uh, come on out Like to which church is it again? MacArthur Park Lutheran. MacArthur Park Lutheran. We're going to be there watching him, uh, rooting for him. From what I understand, we're going to show your video, like your tryout video for mm-hmm. it, where we kind of, where you kind of tell the story of like your brother and like what it led up to like where you're at right now um, with your life. I mean, this is uh, really, really just exciting. And I can't wait to see what happens with you on the American Ninja Warrior. So, Corey, uh, one last question. You know, I know that you have, uh, you know, family. What has, how, how has your family been with you going into the American Ninja Warrior? I know Claudia, I've seen, and your your your, your kids were there. How was that having them there and like watch you and things like that? It was uh, absolutely amazing to see how much you know they love you to be doing something uh, so stressful um, for them to come and and stay up all night long. You know, trying to keep the, the you're just you know you're back there. You know, thinking about is your family comfortable? Um, your your friends, you got fifteen people there to see you, and you you know they you're not sure if they're out in the parking lot waiting to come in to see your run, um, and you're just waiting for hours and hours and hours. And you don't know when your run's coming, so it was it was really stressful. It was, uh, but. You know, they once you get out there, it's like you know, cameras are rolling. You know, they get you pumped up, and uh, it's really exciting. So, um, it's 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 amazing how it all works out. Um, but uh, it's going to be a lot different in, in my next my next season and the seasons after that. I can see that uh, just from you know this this last uh, experience that 
in the year before these two experiences, I, I know a whole different. lot more now. Yeah. So I, I know exactly, uh, exactly what I need to do um, to prepare. moving forward. Yeah, man. Well, I am really excited for you, and I cannot wait for the premiere of the show. Corey, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up in just one second. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to do a part two with you if you'd be down after the, the show airs. I would love so we can to. talk about that. Awesome. Uh, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions, all right? All right. So, uh, <laughs> sumo or conventional deadlift? Conventional. Conventional. All right. How do you like your coffee? Um, black, one cream, little, well, fair amount of sugar. Okay. Do you have any hobbies that people that we don't know about anything you like to do. Maybe it's something you like to watch, read something you like to do that we just don't know about. Cause we always hear about the fitness version of you. Uh, I juggle. I like to handstand. I'm trying to master uh, yeah. my one arm handstand. Yeah. Um, me too. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's really like, yeah. it's like, it's this dream of being able to, I know I can show that I've mastered the handstand when I could do it on one hand. So I'm, I'm not there yet, but uh, but I, I'm getting getting that a little bit, yeah, a little that's, closer. That's badass, man. Yeah. yeah, I know. I always see you you doing those movements. Uh, favorite restaurant to go on a dinner date with your wife, hmm. or a place that you and and her like to go to? Oh, let's see. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can be anything. Dinner it can date. Be Burger King. It can be a lunch date. Okay, Mama's. We're gonna. I mean, we. That's like Mama's Cafe is is what is that's our our go to. That's up the street, right? On Nac yeah, it's on Nacogdoches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we like we like Thai food too. So, um, but where do you go for Thai? Uh, it's it's we've we've kind of we've it's been a while. It's been a long time since we've been. But there's a place called uh, oh, where is it? Is on? it Thai D? No, I, we haven't. I haven't done Thai D yet. Oh, you got to do tidy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bangkok 50, Bangkok, Bangkok 54, 54, right? Is, is, yes. That's, that's one of the, that's one of the, uh, spots, but uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the other one. And it's, it's been so long. I hit my head too hard. <laughs> Dude, I, I would forget that. I don't remember every restaurant in town. You're always too hard. I know where it is. I can that. get there if I've yeah. got GPS. I got you. I got you. Like, <laughs> don't we all, man? Yeah. yeah. All right. So Corey, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find you online? Online, um, you can find me on my Instagram at son of torque. Um, you can, well, get to know me on there, get to know me outside of there. And then my wife and I might add you on our Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that's her. She, it's her decision though, who, who gets on the Facebook page. So I leave that up to her, but, uh, a lot of our clients are, and, and friends and, and people that, uh, we've networked with, uh, are on our Facebook also. Um, but Instagram, um, you know, Google me, Google my name, but, uh, well, you know, it sounds like those are all the places for me over here. You can find me at total body training, uh, Instagram on Instagram at total body training. And you can find me on the total body training, Facebook, look for the two T's. I've got an upside down T and an a regular tea, as well as on Anchor and all the major podcasting sites. Not every single major podcasting site, but most of them. I know it's a little bit confusing, but if you find me on there, you just Google Total Body Training Podcast, you can find me on there, as well as YouTube and Facebook. All right, people, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. Until next time, peace.